Aloha, everybody, and uh, so so good once again to be at Kauai Bible Church. My wife said we've been here, I think, we think six times, it could be five, who counts when you're having fun? It, it, I always feel guilty coming here because it's, you don't even have to pray about it. And uh, would you come to Kauai? You know, some people, well, let me pray about it, see if the Lord puts that on my heart. I, I don't pray about it. I just, God gives us the desires of our heart. That's, I just claim that. And, um, and uh, so this time I didn't, I didn't realize when I was going to come, I was going to go through a ballistic missile drill. Uh, and uh, I think everyone knows where you were. It's quite a story and kind of unique experience. We're all kind of like, what, what happened? And uh, uh, I was actually doing study. I was reading last night on what would happen if a, a ballistic missile would come and, and as far as NORAD and everything else in our defense systems and everything else. And, you know, the, you know, Fox News is probably the most conservative group out there. They said, well, we ran a test a few years ago, and we shot two missiles out of the sky in a test, and so, so far, so good. <laughs> but you know what? We, we, it, we, we, we are not driven by fear, are we? We are not driven by fear. My, my mentor and my, my big brother in the faith, Frank Damasio, who I work with with Ministers Fellowship International, he was in Honolulu uh, yesterday with 500 leaders speaking, and he sent me a text, we're going to die in paradise. <laughs> but, uh, no, but uh, he said they were just all calm and collect and full of peace. And, and uh, you just knew something was wrong when you didn't hear any sirens going on. You didn't see any F-15s or F-14s up in the air. And you didn't, you didn't see anything on TV. You still had NCAA basketball going on and the NFL, you know, playoffs. And, you know, if... if, if I read last night that if something ever got shot, NORAD will pick it up in seconds from the heat emitted from the missile. So even though it won't take long to reach whatever point it is, they pick it up in seconds and have a whole plan of action that takes place in there. So, you know, I got a little bit of red, white, and blue in me. My dad was a military school graduate, World War II veteran, and I kind of have that in my veins, you know, I start singing the Marines hymn and, you know, stuff, stuff like that. So when those types of things happen, I just know that, you know, we are the United States of America. Thank God we live in such a great nation and, and uh, we, we respond. My wife says, you're just so confident. Everyone's just running around in the hotel and flipping out and they said, everyone go to the ballroom. Well, the last thing I'm going to do when there's something like that going on is put my wife and myself in a place of a bunch of People who are panicking are going to stomp you to death. I was more afraid of a crowd of fear than a ballistic missile, I'll tell you that much. So, so I went back to my room and folded my laundry. All right. But God is good. He's doing a great work in Hawaii. He's doing a great work in the United States, doing a great work around the world. Don't, don't just listen to things that, uh, that people speak about that put fear in us. We're, we're serving a great God. Well, I want to address today uh, uh, the subject of being what's called a mission-based church. I see they passed out these enormous notes and uh, big page. You can write a few things on them. And the reasons why I want to do this is first that the, the grace that is, that is on your pastor is going to fall on you. And you, you probably know the story of, of Pastor Aaron as he shared with you. He's come from a a drug, you know, infested conversion where he, he was, blew his brains out on, on drugs. You know, he had a full scholarship to an Ivy League school as football and, and for, for his academics, and yet he couldn't, he couldn't even last the first year. And uh, then found himself from just out of control, being an out of control drug addict, to prison, from 
prison to conversion, from conversion to master's commission. I think it was a Tommy Barnett, was it not? In Phoenix, Arizona, it was an evangelist of evangelistic pastors. And then from there, uh, a youth pastor went after a lot of broken kids. And then from there, uh, he had um, a, a ministry called Unite for Life in the, in the Bay Area where he was doing public school speaking, dealing with teen depression and suicide. And you don't, may not realize that, but he's an expert in those particular areas of bullying, depression, and suicide. And he's quite knowledgeable. He has a degree in psychology. And, uh, and then he went from, from there. He, he found himself, his ministry shut down. He was trying to reactivate it in our area. And here I had a, a broken couple that had a fallout in the house of God and, and uh, had some broken experiences, like many of you may have had broken experiences in church. And kind of a death of a vision going on in them. Aaron never really wanted ever to be a part of a local church ministry team again. He, he wanted to be in the local church, but he, he wanted to be kind of doing something independent out there. And then about five, or five years ago, it could be, he sat down in my office and says, you know, I think I'm ready to move back to be more involved in the local church. And, and it was from there we just saw just the great gift that's upon him. And he's been engaging culture with the gospel his whole Christian life. He was our outreach pastor. He was the one who was in charge of all our outreaches at our church, and we do a lot of outreaches at our church, and uh, uh, we're called City Harvest Church. We like to think we're a harvesting church, harvesting people. And so his whole life has been engaging culture with the gospel. And not only that, the church that he came from, our church, uh, we we live by a philosophy out of Acts 1.8. You know, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, those are those who are near you. That's your Jerusalem. Your Jerusalem would be Kauai, it could be Lahui, it could be, you know, it could be, you know, Kapa, it could be a number of different places, but it's where you're we're living, your, your Jerusalem. Judea, you'll be my witness in Judea, are those who uh, are similar in culture to you. So it'd be like us planting a church in the United States of America is culturally consistent. And then he says, you'll be my witnesses in Samaria. What's interesting about Samaria, Samaria is about people who are ethnically and culturally different, but they're near you. The Samaritans live right next to the, right next to, to, you know, to the Jews in, in, in the area of Israel, and, and yet they were different ethnically, and they were different culturally, and we have cultural groups all around us that we don't have to go sometimes to the nations. The nation is right there across the street from us. And then he goes, I want you to go to the uttermost part of the world, those who are far from us. So we have a motto. We want to minister to those near us. We want to minister to those like us. We want to minister to those near us but different than us. And we want to absolutely reach those who are far from us. And uh, because of that vision that Jesus gave us, the church, every church, needs, needs to grab a hold of that vision. So... Jesus is about mission. That's what he's about. And I want to go through our first text, Luke's night, 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 Luke, excuse me, Luke 19.10. My man back there, he did a great job getting these scriptures up, and I can read them off the back wall here, and you can read them behind me. But Jesus defined his mission. Now, in the context of this, he just ministered to Zacchaeus. Remember where he comes in, Zacchaeus hanging in a tree, he's a tax collector, he's ripped his people off. He collected more in his pocket than they actually owed Rome. That was the farm system of Roman taxation and colonies that they conquered. They let kind of brokers collect their taxes and pocket money in the service of it. So this guy got wealthy off the suffering of others. And yet he was hungry for God. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I must join you today and, and eat with you at your house. And then, of course, Zacchaeus is converted. I'm going to give away half of what I took. I'm going to give away to the poor. I'm going to these things. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. 
And then Jesus makes this statement. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now what contextually is that you need to understand that he's getting ready to move from Jericho to Jerusalem to die on the cross. This statement is made the last probably two weeks of his life. This is my mission. Now, now what was shocking to people to see that, because they knew it was tied to Zacchaeus, it was tied to, I've come to seek and save the lost. He didn't say, I've come to overthrow the Roman Empire. I've come to fulfill carnal Jewish expectation of what the Messiah would look like. I've come to fulfill your agenda. I've come to, 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 to do something that you desired me to do. No, I've come to do what's always been in the heart of God. I've come to rescue the world. And that's my mission. He defines his mission in contrast and against the carnal expectations of God's people at that time. When I'm talking about a mission-based church and what a church is to be living in mission, it is contrary to the way we do church in the West. Because what I'm going to say, some things to you today would make some churches uncomfortable, that, that maybe that's a little bit too extreme and a little bit too radical, but I believe it's in alignment to the very thing that Jesus said, that, that he is on mission to rescue people. And we have a lot of people that have a lot of carnal agendas for the church, but they have nothing to do with the mission of Christ. And Jesus said, I mean, this is what it's all about. Matthew 16, 18 it, uh, Jesus said, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us, against it. Now we're always, we're always kind of looking at this, is that hell is beating on the doors of the church, and we hum, somehow won't crumble, we won't bend. But, but let's turn this around. You know, remember the, the blessings that they used to give back in the book of Genesis? And they said, that, here was the blessing they would give that your children would possess the gates of their enemies. It's not that Satan is trying to possess us. We are going to possess where he rules. Come on, for this purpose, the Son of God is manifest, and he might do what? Destroy the works of the devil. So we're possessing where he's dwelling. Gates speak of authority, and that's where the judges and, and counsel and courts were held in, in, in ancient times at city gates. And so we're going to come against the authority of Satan, and the authority of Satan cannot prevail. You know, it's amazing to me, you know, we, we minister a lot in Muslim countries, and uh, and you know, it's hard. It's, it's hard to, to minister in Muslim countries for a number of reasons. A lot of the laws are very, very restrictive. It's very dangerous. But you know, God is working beyond that. He's just working mightily whether uh, uh, the governments are going to allow it or not. I've talked to many Muslims who have been converted to Christ on the, you know, the other side of the, of, of the globe. And they come to Jesus through visions. I mean, how'd you come to Jesus? Well, I was praying, and he appeared to me, and he talked with me. I am the way, and the truth, and life. Next thing they do, they give their life to Christ. I mean, there was 37 guys praying in a mosque in Algeria. All at the same time, they all had the same vision of Jesus. All were converted all at once. We had one, one guy that we knew. He, he met a, a man who had a garment, and this is in Iran. The garment would show that he had direct biological or natural connection to, to Muhammad himself in, in, in his lineage. And he said, well, you, you, you need to look for a mosque? And he goes, no, I came to find a church. 
Now, you want a mosque. No, I want a church. I saw, I've been, I've been actually traveling for days. I saw a sign of a cross in heaven over this place, and I've been traveling to it. And so Jesus is appearing to people. He's converting people. They say there's 3,000 born-again believers in Tehran University. One taxi cab driver in Tehran said there was three different Iranians tried to witness to him in one single day. And so, you know, we, we, we have all sorts of things going on around the world where, where God is, about, is beating on the gates of hell. And, and if that's what God is doing, he's beating on the gates of hell. He's going where Satan is working. Then where should the church be? If we're in a line, man, we need to go where he's working. I want to be where he is. I don't want to, you know, Jesus, come over here and bless what I'm doing. I want to follow you. And I want to be involved with what you're doing. Wesley used to tell his preachers back in the 18, 1700s, wherever you go, find out what God's doing and cooperate with it. I want to cooperate with what God is doing. And he's outreaching people. So we better get involved in his mission and get his heart in what we're doing. Now, talking about this thing called the gospel, there are theological and moral challenges of our day that, that really require a conviction about the gospel. I mean, we're going to have to get back to get very, very convinced and convicted and, and resolute about this thing called the gospel. We have some theological challenges t- today. We challenge the gospel. A lot of churches are into advice. The gospel is not about advice. A lot of churches are into self-help stuff. I mean, how to be a better this and a better that and four steps to this and seven steps to this and two steps to this. And that's advice. Uh, a lot of speakers are into being comedians and motivational speakers. And, you know, Aaron was a motivational speaker. And, and uh, part of his polish that I was trying to groom it on, he was so polished from public speaking that he had to kind of get a little bit real and stumble over words and let down his hair and you know, make a mistake and be human because he was so good. The guy's a genius. He's so good. But he had to be incarnated flesh for people to touch. And he's done that. And, but but we're, we're talking about that we're doing things in church that sometimes have nothing to do with the gospel. We, we, we want to get in social causes. I actually believe in being involved as a church in social causes, but we think that's the gospel. That, that's, not, that's not the gospel. We think that we're just trying to make people become better people. Well, we want to equip people to do the work of the ministry, but Jesus has to transform us. We can't make people better people. There's a need for a transformation. You know, uh, my, my son-in-law and my third board daughter, we have four daughters, and so I got four son-in-laws. They were running a small group in our church in the city of Portland, and they had a, a young lady that joined their group that uh, had gone to a church on the East Coast where it was quite known to gather a lot of millennials, and she, she came in there, and she was a part of that, and then she was a part of another church in Portland that did a lot of even spontaneous baptisms. You want to get baptized, just come jump in the tank right now. And she responded one time in her street clothes and just jumped in the baptism tank. And so they were in a small group study with this young lady and, and, and uh, Ryan, my son-in-law, said, let's turn to the book of Genesis. Well, I don't believe in Genesis. Well, you don't believe in Genesis? What do you mean? No, I don't, I don't believe in Genesis. You believe in the Bible? Well, not really. Well, so Ryan started doing his inspection. Do you believe in Jesus? She goes, well, yeah, I believe that Jesus was a person. Do you believe he was a son of God? Well, no, no, I don't believe that. Well, I thought you said you, you got saved. He goes, well, no, I got touched by the Spirit. And so it became a cultural feeling experience that she had. 
but she hadn't truly been converted. And Ryan's a teacher, and so when he starts getting down the brass tacks of what this is all about, she didn't want to go on the journey. She didn't want, oh, no, I'm not interested in this. You see, we, we, it's a time for us to get back to the gospel. The gospel. You know, the, the gospel is, is really defined. And we don't have this scripture, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I always like to have a, a scripture that's not on the screen so people make sure they bring their Bibles to church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 8 and 9. I'm reading out of, uh, my wife gave me this Bible here recently. It's the New English Translation. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. It says, For from you the message of the Lord has echoed forth, not just in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place reports of your faith in God have spread, so that we do not need to say anything. For people everywhere report how you welcomed us. Now, you know, let's notice how this, we think Paul knew a little bit about what the gospel is. So you're going to see how we preach the gospel here. How you welcomed us and how you turned to God from idols. Okay, there was repentance. To serve the living God, not a historical God, not just a theoretical God, but there's a living encounter that they had. To serve the living and true God. Notice it's a true God versus a false God. It's an elitist thing. It's, he's set apart. He's above others. And to wait for his son from heaven the second coming of Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, the great event. Jesus, our deliverer from the coming wrath. So there's a second coming, and it involves wrath and judgment upon the earth, and there's good news. He has delivered us from that thing, and he did it through his son, through his death on the cross and his resurrection, and we're announcing that that thing took place and that he is coming again. So the gospel is not advice. The gospel is a proclamation. Hey, everybody, we got some good news. Extra, extra, read all about it. Jesus came out of the tomb, and we can be delivered from the wrath of God to come when he's going to be coming again, and he's going to make everything new. Well, that's the gospel. It's not, I'm going to try to help you become a, better employee, I mean, some real life ministry. Now, I think there's equipping to do those things in the church, but they always should be in the context that I want to become like Christ, and I'm on the mission of Christ, and I'm reflecting upon Christ, and that's what Christ is working in me. Not that I just become a better person. Now, we have moral challenges in our culture. Here's the moral challenge. It's the world challenge in the church to live up to be like Christ. It's a moral challenge. I mean, where's Jesus? We, we see big church budgets, and we see fancy church things, and we see church building, buildings going up, and there's nothing wrong with church buildings, nothing wrong with the church having money. I, we believe in all that, but it's just kind of, that's what you do. You just kind of live this self-preserving culture where you just kind of do things to build yourself up, but do you really care and engage in the community around you? Is Kauai Bible Church concerned about the affairs of Kauai, culture of Kauai, the people of Kauai, the needs of Kauai? And, and are we getting messy and dirty, getting involved in that as we spread the kingdom of God? So what is a mission-based church? Now, on your notes, there's a real mess up there because the definition should be under number two and it got placed under number three. That I don't know how that happened. I saw it last night. But a mission-based church is this. It's a church that's that has a, an outward focus, 
A church that is an outward focused church that possesses a conviction of why it is here. It's focused on doing the work of Christ. It asks this question. How can we minister the gospel in word and deed in our community, in our nation, in the nations of the world? That's, that's, that's the question that a mission-based church asks. How can we minister the gospel in word and deed? Remember Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good. So Jesus went about doing good. He fed the poor, showed compassion, even turned water into wine at a party. Okay? Jesus went about doing good. And then he also came, went about healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So, and he proclaimed the gospel. He said, I want you to go, guys, and I want you to heal the leper and cleanse the, you know, and cleanse the leper and heal the, the blind and open up the deaf and, and, and cast out demons and say the kingdom of heaven has arrived. I want you to preach the gospel. There is, there is deeds and there are words. There's the gospel message. We're focused on doing the work of Christ, how we can minister the gospel in word and deed in our community, right here, our nation, the United States of America, and the nations of the world. Every local church needs to have that possession, I mean that passion. Every local church needs to own this thing. We can't be Christian socialists. So there's someone else who's going to do it. No, 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 it's on us. It's on us. How would you exist if you're the only church in the world? How would you function? There's nobody else. It's you. It's Kauai Bible Church. But right now, you've had about 140, 150 people in attendance. You might have 175 people identifying with the church. That's it. It's you against the world. Not Helen Reddy. You. You're against the Lord. Now, you and me against the world. No, it's you against the world. And you have a commission to touch this community, the nation, the nations of the earth. How would you then live? That's a mission-based church. No, it doesn't. A mission-based church doesn't ask these questions. How can we get more people through our doors? It doesn't ask the question, how can we raise more money? How can we be more attractive to the community? A mission-based church asks this, how can we engage our community with the works of Jesus that show that we're concerned where people are at and at the same time proclaim the good news of the gospel to them that they can be delivered from the things that they're suffering from. That, that's, that's the question that the mission-based church asks. Now you get this kind of focus, it gets into your prayer life, it gets into your budget life, it gets into your schedule life, it gets into your 24-7 lifestyle. Christianity is not an event. You know that, don't you? It's something we live out 24-7. I like you know, going to weddings. But I sure am glad I take off all those formal clothes and you get relaxed afterwards. We, we, we want to do Christianity not through an event, but as a lifestyle 24-7. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Come on, this thing gets in us. Things are going to take place in the church. The church is going to look different. And so there are tensions that come with a mission-based church. One is the, the tension of grace and judgment. What do you mean by that? Well, when people start getting saved, they don't look real nice. They don't act real nice. They're, they're not really quick in actually just becoming what God has already called them. He calls them righteous, but it takes them a while to line up with that righteousness, to become who they are, is what we say. And so there's acceptance where people are pursuing the standards of the gospel being laid on them, and, and there's acceptance to that. It's messy because people's sanctification... 
doesn't happen sometimes overnight. People's change and transformation and adopting of new attitudes doesn't take place. We have a lady that we hired as a, as a, as a janitor. We decided we're going to take one of the single moms that got saved in, in, in the ministry of our church at one of our outreaches, and we're going to give her a job in the church as, a, as our church janitor. She's going to become part of the team. Now, she smoked, okay? She, she was a smoker, and, and uh, she, she kind of came out of some tough neighborhoods, and, and uh, she, was, she was rough. She was urban, and uh, she was ghetto. And uh, we were in, I remember our, our first staff meeting, we were dealing with conflict resolutions, and then she said, well, what I would do in a situation like that is I'd take a baseball bat to them. <laughs> okay, that's, that's good. That's, that's a good attitude. And, and she just had ways of being raw and just shocking everybody. And, and it was interesting watching the response of even my staff, who believes in these convictions that were mission-based, to be around a real mission person who is being transformed, and she's, I've watched her change from one place to another, but, but she was raw. And then your children's ministry. These kids are growing up in some tough places, and they know how to swear like a sailor, and, and uh, you know, they're, they're swearing in children's classes, and, you know, kids, Mommy, what does this mean? You know, and, okay, and so all of a sudden, your, your children's ministry just takes on a little bit different air, and you got to have a smoking corner outside, and, you know, somebody gets touched by the Holy Ghost, a four-letter expletive comes out of their mouth, and, and uh, you know, so, so, you know, what happened to our nice church? It started getting mission-focused. You think Jesus is uptight with all that stuff? No, Jesus ain't uptight with all that stuff. Jesus, Jesus got messy with the dirty world. I mean, we have these manger scenes at, at uh, Christmas time, you know. Away in a manger. If, if you've ever been around animals, there were flies. There was basically animal, you know, defecation all over the place. There was, it was anything but pretty. Was anything but an ornament, anything but something people just drive by. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, animals smell, and there's flies and bugs and poop and everything else. And Jesus was born right in the middle of that thing. He's not uptight about the messes, and he starts cleaning them up. And you know, I we have a we've we've adopt, we, we've just all of a sudden have a big harvest in Hamburg, Germany, with all these refugees coming, and we have about a hundred converts from Iran, freshly saved, and. The guy that's interpreting for us there, he just got saved and is only two years in Christ from Afghanistan. He speaks Dari and Farsi. And, and so I'm getting ready. He's going to interpret for me. This is early December. I'm going to talk to 100 new converts. It's a, and and I, here's my scriptures. And one was out of the Old Testament. Well, this guy argues against you know, Muslims all the time coming out of that. And he says, well, I don't believe in the Old Testament. Great. We're going to have a debate here. Church starts in two minutes, you know. I said, well, just flow with me. You know? And the reason he didn't, because there was violence in the Old Testament, and he's trying to come out of violence. So I wasn't uptight about that. I knew where he was at. I knew he had a lot to learn. I knew that he was trying to just cleanse himself from a dark place of, of religious violence, and he didn't want to, he, the way he saw the Old Testament, he needed, he needed some teaching. But this is what's going to happen. It's going to be messy versus judgment. It's going to be faith versus works. A lot of Christians are like, don't get so excited and, and radical. It's all about faith, faith in Christ and faith in his work, and God's just going to do it. That's what they said in William Carey's day. They said, uh, you know, William Carey, they said, if God wants to save the heathen, he's going to save the heathen. 
Carrie's, you know, praying over his globe made out of shoe leather and weeping over it in intercession till the lines of ink that made the, the formations of the nations of the map were melted and, you know, went to India and labored. And, you know, if God wants the heathen to be saved, he's going to do it. It's all about faith, man. Don't, don't get into works. I love, uh, oh, what's his name? I, I get him mixed up with an actor now, but... Uh, uh, the, the guy out of Birmingham, Alabama, Platt, and uh, he, he wrote a book called Radical, and he's a, he's a good grace man, but because he preaches what he thinks Jesus taught, people call him a legalist, and you know, when you start getting mission-based, people are going to think like you're just kind of like getting in your own strength and going extreme, and you just got to rest and chill, and no, 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 you, you got a cost. There is a cost. You're, you're burning with this cost. You're sacrificing for this cost. You're, you're focused in this cost, and so Come on, we believe, and our belief results in works. Okay, we believe Jesus wants to rescue people. We believe he paid the price on the cross to rescue people. We have a tension of divine strength versus human effort. You know? We can't do this in our own strength. Can I hear an amen? amen. Come on, we, sometimes we go, 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 but never be led. We're just kind of moving, moving, moving. We're trying to force ourselves sometimes into situations. And, and uh, sometimes we're... We're, um, we think we have to witness to everybody. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just I'm being led by the Spirit and I'm alert that He wants to lead me. I find if you really want to get into a Spirit-led lifestyle, be prepared for God to interrupt you at the most inconvenient times. When you're all ready to go, God just says, no, no, just chill. When you've got a hundred things on your mind, He says, I want you to go minister to that person right there. Right, not right now. Not right now. No, no, right now. I, I'm God. I kind of want to do this to see if you're submissive to me. Come on. We want to move in the strength of the Lord. We, we have a tension of being among and being separate. People are going to come to Christ because they trust you. Because they've engaged you and they see you as authentic and you've inspired them and they've tasted and seen that the Lord is good in your life. That is not going to happen unless you spend time on an ongoing basis with unchurched, unbelieving people. You've got to spend time with them for them to begin to trust you. And usually to spend time with them, you've got to have some type of shared interest that you share in that connects you. So you've got to find it. It might be surfing. It might be paddleboarding. It might be fishing. It might be backpacking. It might be guns. It might be art. It might be this. We've got a lady in our church who's going to use my barn here in a few weeks just went out on, on, on the internet, and all artists come. And so I don't know what kind of artists I got coming to my house. And, and uh, you know, she's just she's going to use a platform to share her faith. But you've got to have shared experiences. And, you know, they see you in those experiences. And the workplace is a great place. Those people, that's your harvest. And you've got to become genuine. You're always, you're always on stage. They're always looking at you. You're always being tested. There's going to be a tension of uh, the unchangeable gospel versus culture. You know, the gospel is offensive to our culture. We've got, to, we've got to come to grips with this thing. In other words, everyone thinks that, um, you know, they're pretty good. We, we have a lot of narcissistic banquets and award ceremonies we have. We have the, we have the, glo the Golden Globes. We've got the Oscars. We've got the... Uh, producers Guild. We got uh, Critics Choice. We, 
And a bunch of people got the same tuxedo and the same gowns, and they walk, and they make political statements, and they take their trophies, they hug each other, blow kisses, they, and they're how wonderful they are. We're just full of narcissism. Can you imagine doing that in a church? You know, the anointed uh, of the year award. Uh, <laughs> the most sacrificial award. And the winner goes to, you know. You know, it just you get a gold statue made out of gold, okay. And yet we're talking about how we really need to love the poor. People wrestle that, that they would have to trust Christ because that means that there's something wrong with them. And they don't want to do that. That's offensive. And being, for me to accept that, I have to admit that I need it. I need it. You know, I got to, I got to meet Billy Bush. Remember Billy Bush worked for NBC. He was a, one of the newscasters there. Interviewed George Bush, not George Bush, excuse me, Donald Trump in 2005. In that bus, and he kept the tape on. There was all that vulgar conversation that took place. Well, when it got exposed, uh, Billy Bush got fired by NBC. And in his brokenness, he, he landed in my son-in-law's church. And he's there, front row, with his kids, worshiping, staring at you, drinking every syllable of your word. I got done preaching in June. He found me. He just ran up and hugged me. A, a broken man, but he came to the end of himself. He had to recognize I'm sinful. I've lost everything. And uh, he found Christ. He found Christ in that. You know, the gospel is going to be offensive, that there's a God of judgment. The judgment's going to come to the things that we've done wrong. He delivered us from the wrath to come. Those are tough things. Elitism. What do you mean elitism? That Jesus is the way and the truth of life. Not Jesus plus this one, Jesus with this, and Jesus. No, no pluralism. You know, it's not this coexist thing where all kind of land. The problem with the coexist thing, if you have those stickers around here, is that none of those religions believe they can coexist with other religions, okay? And so... And then, then you can't, they can't, they, they, they don't work together because they say different things. Um, you know, the supernatural versus natural. I mean, I have to believe that there's just not natural law, there's supernatural law, and God works and does miracles and bypasses nature, and man, I, I, I have to give all that up. My whole worldview goes on and on and on and on and on. We've got to stick to the unchangeable gospel because it does transform people. It involves serving versus equipping. What I mean by that, people look at pastors like, we just go to funerals, we visit hospitals, we visit rest homes, uh, we do weddings, um, we go organize socials. I have people find out I'm a pastor and they go, oh, that must be just so rewarding. You just kind of go around and give Kleenex to people and put your arm around them. What they don't really realize, I really do very little of that. What I do is I equip people. I take a person and say, you know what? I'm going to make you into a demon-kicking machine. I'm like a trainer at a gym. Okay? I'm going to give you a 32-inch six-pack ab and a 19-inch bicep, and I'm going to train you till you die, and then I'm going to release you like a machine against the forces of darkness. That's what I do. Well, what about the person? I, I, I do the things where the cycles of life, i got to be there. But that's not my main responsibility. God didn't call me to hospital hop. God didn't call me just to hand out clinics. God called me to equip the church to engage the enemy and extend the kingdom of God throughout the earth. That's a whole different job description. 
So I let them kind of say that, oh, that's so wonderful. You must really have a lot of, you know, gratification for what you do. I'm really angry a lot because I can't get people moving forward. Okay, that's, that's really what the truth is. All right. The mission-based church requires personal transformation. Come on. We have to pursue a radical love relationship with Christ for this to take place. I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. I won't even go through my last points here. But put that scripture up there, brother. You got there right now. Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, that sounds like Paul was into morbidity. Like Paul was into, like, I want to die soon. That's not really what, what, what Paul was into. He's, what Paul wanted is this. Paul loved Jesus so much that he wanted to be with him. You know, I don't know if I can say that, I can quote it, but if I can just say, you know what, if I die, I gain. Paul actually said, in the context of this verse, I'm really kind of torn between two things. I, I, I want to be here to help you, but I, but I really, I really want to be with him. So, because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But for your sake, I'm here. I don't know if I could say that. Paul was in love with Jesus. In Philippians 3.10, Paul said this, that I may know him, that I may know him. Not that I may use him, not that I may manipulate him, not, not that I may gain from him, that I may know him. And I want to know him intimately. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Woo, baby! Same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Well, you know what? God raises up. He raises up dead people. So if I'm going to know the power of his resurrection, I've got to know what it is to die. That I might share in his sufferings. I don't like that. That's not going on my refrigerator. And I might become like him in his death. That's even worse. Jesus went to the cross. Yeah, that's, that's true. So I got to be willing to walk in his shoes of suffering. I got to be able to walk in his shoes of death. I got to let God shut doors, put me in the grave sometimes, and be totally helpless. So all of a sudden, God, by the power of his resurrection, raises me up. I boast in the cross. I don't boast in who I am. I boast in who he is and what he's done in my life. That is the type of people that God's going to use in mission. The second is the pursuit of loving people. When we love people, John 13, 35. By this all people know you're my disciples. You have love for one another. 1 John 4.21 And the commandment we have from him who is this. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You know, my sister never wanted to be a Christian. Never. She's five years younger than me. She's 58 years old. She never wanted to be a Christian. Posed me. I one time gave her the whole gospel. I was getting ready to pray with her to receive Christ. She just says, I can't do it. I can't do this. I cannot do this. And all of a sudden, she got stage four cancer, went through some terrible stuff in the stage four cancer, thrived and survived it. But at the end, she just wanted to live in Vancouver with us, and she wanted to become part of our church. What did it? She wanted to be in community. She saw the community. She saw love. She saw support. She saw people who were involved in her life and concerned about her, and it won her heart. And We baptized her here this last fall, okay, because they, she tasted community. The th third thing is the pursuit of sharing Christ with all people in word and deed. Paul said this, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. Okay, man, I want you to notice, this is not just handing out a tract. To share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. 
If we're not ready to share ourselves with people, we're not ready to be missional. We're not ready to live a life of a missionary even locally. We're not ready to engage in a mission-based thing. You're going to get involved with people and it's going to be time-consuming and it's going to be burdensome and it's going to be involve sacrifice and it's going to involve inconvenience and it's going to involve the absolute violation of your rights. You know, sometimes boundaries, the boundary teaching is good and sometimes it leads to selfish self-preservation. Sometimes we've got to give up our privacy for the sake of serving others. Now, some people can interfere with the will of God, and that's where boundaries is a good thing. We don't want them to do that. But sometimes it can be used as selfish preservation. I just, people tell me, I'm leaving City Harvest Church because it's no longer a safe place. And I say to them, I'm jealous because you get to leave and I have to stay. I don't have that option. So I get my feet stomped on and I get interrupted and I get my rights violated because I'm called to serve these people. See, we share ourselves because you have become very dear to us. That's, you, know, you start living a life like that and they start seeing us live in absolute radical community and we pursue radical love, a radical love relationship with Christ that I don't want to be a user of God I want to be a lover of God. And it's really all about him and my relationship with him. And you get those three, three things going and we're engaged in this heart and mission, you will turn the world upside down. You'll see doors open. All of a sudden, people coming. Be out in the marketplace. Something's going to take place. Testimonies of miracles. What happened? You not only just want to share information with them, you want to share yourself with them. Because of that, you're releasing God to work. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Man, would you stand to your feet?